It's the next level. On the afternoon of August 18th, 1973, five young people in a Volkswagen van ran out of gas on a farm road in South Texas. Four of them were never seen again. The next morning, the one survivor, Sally Hardesty Enright, was picked up on a roadside, blood-caked and screaming murder. Sally said she had broken out of a window in hell. The girl babbled a mad tale. A cannibal family in an isolated farmhouse, chainsawed fingers and bones, her brother, her friends, hacked up for barbecue, chairs made of human skeletons. Then she sank into Catatonia. Texas lawmen mounted a month-long manhunt but could not locate the macabre farmhouse. They could find no killers and no victims, no facts, no crime. Officially, on the records, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre never happened. But during the last 13 years, over and over again, reports of bizarre, grisly chainsaw mass murders have persisted all across the state of Texas. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre has not stopped. It haunts Texas. It seems to have no end. Hey, lick my plate, you dog dick! Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying, you know, violently? I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. violent content, parental discretion is advised. So, video games. Evil Dead, the video game. Multiplayer only. I'm going to say this quick, to the point. Please give us a single player mode. Some of us are not good with video game controllers. It takes me a while. As much as I love this idea, I think it would be a great game. I saw the game. The trailer looks beautiful. Bruce Campbell's in it. Dana DeLorenzo's in it. Pablo's back. You get to play as Cheryl, even. Eric the Red. Like, this is awesome. I'm totally for this game. If you could give me a single-player mode, please. What is with multiplayer games? I watched E3 last weekend. The E3... um, the Microsoft and Bethesda showcase. They displayed 30 games for us, and I swear 25 of them, if not more, were multiplayer. And I don't know. I, is it me? What happened to the age of single-player mode or two-player mode where you both played in the same room? I know it's it's an internet age. I get it. But... I don't know, like, can't we just have games with stories? And I know, you know, there's people out there that are going to tell me to play the PS2 game of Evil Dead, Fistful of Boomstick, or whatever the game was called. Yeah, yeah, I know. We, It's not that we don't have single-player games, but I just find that this is, like, 
the big thing these days is multiplayer and not all of us like I'm I'm proud being a loner, you know, <laughs> when it comes to video games anyways. Um I don't know. I I have to take my time. When I played the Arkham games, my god, Joker and Bane and everybody else had fun laughing at me cuz it took me forever to figure out those controls. Now, yeah, I you know, I'll joke and with my friends and whatnot. I'm like, I'm the Arkham Wiz. Yeah, I wasn't at one point. <laughs> it took me a while. But yeah, so Evil Dead the game. And the reason why I bring this up is because just, re- just before I started recording this, <laughs> about an hour ago, um, no, the intros weren't taking that long this week. I, I lie. I'm lying. But anyways, um, but I was on, you know, social media trying to figure out how to open up this show and because I was like seeing like is there a big article to talk about new movie coming out whatever um but anyways I saw that someone you know basically said exactly how I felt about the game was that my god we so want to play this game but can we have a single player mode and poor girl <laughs> I I didn't catch her name but the poor girl got like lambasted by the uh the fandom we'll call them that um uh, you know, those people online that just love to make you feel like you should go slit your wrist. Yeah, those people showed up to play. Um, but yeah, it, it I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of in that boat, you know, just even if they do it later, it kind of like Friday the 13th did. Friday the 13th, I did end up get getting to enjoy a bit because, you know, we brought in a single player mode and whatnot. And yeah, video games. Can we go back to the one player? games you know you know what it is though and maybe i'm wrong but i think it's the death of arcades um because arcades you had you know those stand-up cabinets had for one player or two player only you know days of street fighter mortal kombat pac-man ms pac-man frogger asteroids defender oh god that's my childhood right there but um yeah you know, and maybe that maybe that's what the big difference is. You know, we don't have the stand. We have stand up arcades still. Like there's cabinet models. You know, and arcades around, but not like it used to be. God, I remember, I remember being a kid. Like just even going to like the small little local mall, and you know, off by the back of the mall, they would have like twelve cabinets lined up so you could play. You know, Dig Dug. <laughs> um, Zaxxon. Oh my god, there's a game. Um, you know, Double Dragon. Depending on what era we're talking to, you know, late 70s, early 80s, or into the 90s. You know, 90s gave us Battletoads, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Gotta remember playing all those games. But yeah, you know, that. the more I think about it, I think that's what the big difference is. You know, for, you know why we have such a, a push for multiplayer games these days is because of the internet. Where back in the day when the game came out, it was one or two player mode. And you, that's the other thing that's missing too is the whole idea of playing video games in the same room. You know, um, back in the days of, you know, the original NES, you had two controllers and it was player number one, player number two. It was usually me kicking my brother's ass in ice hockey, but <laughs> till he figured out the controls and then I was doomed. But hey, uh, yeah, like I it's weird because just as I'm recording this, I just kind of put that all together. I think the uh, the it, what's missing, stand up arcades. Uh anyways, 
Arcades were the 80s, and so is this week's movie from the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio Zero. The Saw is Family on What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. And I'm your host, Arcade Paul. No, uh, Postmortem Paul. And yes, so this week, it's all about family. It's an episode about family. Coming right after Father's Day. Topic I should not be talking about. <laughs> I do not have nice things to say about Father's Day. And that's on a personal level. So, I mean, I'm not... this To the fathers out there that are wonderful guys. And you guys are... You know, you're doing what a father should be doing. I wish you the best. But... I wasn't so lucky. Anyways. um, Yeah, so this week's episode. Episode 97... The Saw is family. That should have tipped you off right there. If, unless you listen to last week's episode, you already know what this week's is. Directed by Toby Hooper. And not starring Gunnar Hansen. <laughs> I said not starring. Uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. And I kind of did this backwards. When I think about it, I kind of did my opening monologue prior to announcing the episode and now I have nothing to talk about oh it was me no um <laughs> I will say this so you know late bloomers I am one uh, I always say I'm a stupid guy pretending to be smart on this show and I'm a late bloomer and never put one and one together until this past week <laughs> when I realized that two of my favorite creature features both share the same anniversary in the same week uh, well, depending on when the days fall, you know, are in, in line on the calendar. But Gremlins 2, the new batch, and Jaws share their anniversaries five days apart. Um, so that was my movie marathon with my dog last night, which I, I've come to realize that with my dog, when I watch movies, if he's snoring, because he snores and he snores a lot, but if he's snoring louder, that means he likes the movie. And if he doesn't snore that much at all, he probably doesn't like it because he's not actually sleeping. Which I know you're thinking, that's really weird. It's a really weird way of looking at a movie. But you have to understand my dog. Like, for example, with music. Now, he has this thing, and we don't know why. You don't even have to play the video game. You can just play the music from Animal Crossing, and it puts him out into a coma. And I mean, like, he sleeps the deepest of sleeps to Animal Crossing music. Well, I've kind of realized that with movies, there's movies that I've watched where he seems very restless, he's not snoring at all, and I've kind of realized that I think he doesn't like the movies, or they make him feel, you know, anxious or whatever. Last night, well, poor old me trying to watch Gremlins 2 and Jaws, and I'm already deaf as it is, like, I, in my one ear, I'm practically 70% deaf, so, I mean, it sucks trying to watch shows, and I don't, it's not that I don't like subtitles, obviously I do, because I watch a lot of foreign films, but when I'm watching an English-speaking movie, I don't want to watch subtitles as well, it's like, why? Like, I, I know what they're saying, I, I don't need the subtitles. But sometimes I do because my dog sitting next to me decides that he wants to snore so that, you know, people in China can hear him. Um, I, it, 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 but it, it's fucked up. But anyways, aside from it being fucked up, I kind of realized last night 
I was really struggling to hear the movies, and not to mention we do our marathons at like two in the morning. So I mean, he's passed out for the night. But the thing is, is that he likes to snore, and he snores really loud. And I realized I was like, wow, like Zero actually really likes Gremlins Two and Jaws because I couldn't hear half the fucking movie. <laughs> um, which kind of got me thinking that maybe one of these days I need to change the rating system. I, I, I don't know how I'm going to do the rating system on this show. I, 97 episodes in, plus specials, and I still don't know exactly how I want to do my own unique rating system. But maybe I'm going to start going on how loud he snores, like a decibel counter or something. Because it, aside from not only you know discovering that Gremlins 2 and Jaws both share anniversaries five days apart, but at the same time it was like, oh, like my dog is like his own little rating system. Based on how loud he's going to snore. So, yeah, there's that. Anyways, the Saw is family. Let's get into this. Trailer timeout coming up, guys. For a movie that... One, has one of the greatest jump scares ever. (laughs) If you've seen this movie and you know the scene I'm talking about... As a teenager watching this, and I believe I the first time I saw this movie, I think was like actually in like 1990 or 91 or something like that. So I was about 15, 16 years old at the time when I saw it. And I saw it, uh, unintended, not intended, whatever. Um, But yeah, there's that one scene that, holy crap, I'm not going to lie. I swear I thought I soiled my drawers when I saw it for the first time is it's kind of like exorcist 3 how it's got that one awesome jump scare well this movie has one too but yeah so there's that this movie is somewhat misunderstood it's it's sometimes underrated so i'm glad i'm talking about it we're gonna do the trailer timeout and then when we come back we're gonna talk about the sequel that well, I mean, is it better than the original? That doesn't happen often, but maybe this does. I, I'll i leave that up to the review after the trailer for a movie that came out in 1986. We'll be back in a splat, kids, with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. <laughs> Thirteen years ago, audiences across America were horrified by the savagery of a faceless killer. In the wake of this bizarre rampage, he vanished. Now, after more than a decade of silence, he has come out of hiding. Chainsaw Massacre 2. The buzz is back. Directed by Toby Hooper. Sequels, reboots, remakes. No one's ever original anymore. 1986. Sequel. Who ever heard of such a thing? The 80s were nothing but sequels. <laughs> Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th. Oh, Hellraiser, kinda. Because... 
2. <laughs> Hellraiser 2 was in the 80s. Uh, Child's Play kicked off what would have, you know, another, what, six sequels, seventh, a remake. Evil Dead gave us a sequel. Sleepaway Camp. The 80s. Sequels. 80s were all about originality. We didn't have sequels. We have reboots and remakes. Remakes. The Thing. The Fly. The Blob. Um, what's the other one? Not of This Earth. Tracy Lords. Of course, I remember that one. <laughs> um, yeah. 1990. You know. Night of the Living Dead was remade. Return of the Living Dead. Return of the Living Dead 2. Both movies basically almost the same thing. But 80s. Originality. I miss the 80s. I miss originality in movies. What's with this new this new thing? Sequels and remakes. No one's original anymore. I'm sorry. I saw that on the internet today. You know, people complaining about how... Because the Exorcist remake, you know, which is coming, what, at the, the original Exorcist came out in 1973. This is 2021. I'm not saying, trust me, I'm not exactly, you know, saving my money to go see this one at the theaters because that original is something else. But at least they waited a while back. The Nightmare on Elm Street remake, I get the complaints with that. You know, it wasn't even five years later they were already trying to reboot that thing. That I get. But some of these movies, like Night of the Living Dead, you gotta remember, 1968, Romero releases his, 1990, Savini releases his, and they, they work well, you know? Oh, Silent Night, Deadly Night. There's another remake, or not remake, uh, sequel. Sequel, happy franchise. Ah, whatever. It just, it, it makes me laugh, you know? Because this week, focusing on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. It's a sequel. Sequel that took 12 years almost. Well, 12 years between the original and the sequel, so wasn't supposed to happen like that. It, Toby Hooper and Kim Henkel had an idea, and that idea kind of went south. But, yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, released August 22nd, 1986, except in Ontario. I will explain that in a bit. Directed by Toby Hooper. Who's Toby Hooper? I don't know. Maybe he's done Poltergeist. Life Force, The Fun House. Fun House is a great one. The Mangler, Eaten Alive. The original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Night Terrors. Did the um, first episode of Freddy's Nightmares. No more Mr. Nice Guy. They gave us the backstory to Freddy before Freddy's Dead came along. So, yeah. Toby Hooper. Movie was written by L. M. Kit Carson. A lot of people just call him Kit Carson. So, but um, yeah, he he's an interesting one to listen to. By the way, like uh, on the uh, the Blu-ray, the special features. There's um, the uh, the documentary making of kind of thing. Uh, the Saw's family. 
and he get, he he has quite a bit of um especially i believe it's the first segment of that documentary he talks for pretty much about a good 10 minutes straight about about this movie and his experiences and whatnot it's very interesting other things he worked on, he worked on... Uh, well, actually, he was an actor in the movie uh, Running on Empty. Uh, he also wrote one episode of Miami Vice. He was a producer for The Crow, Wicked Prayer. I know we don't like talking about that one, but he was a producer for it. But um, I know his resume in, in terms of films. This might be his biggest highlight right here. He, I mean, he's done a, some work, but he's not... He's not Toby Hooper, let's put it that way. Uh, Toby's done a lot of shit. Where Kit, not so much. Produced by Yoram Globus and Menahem Golan. Golan and Globus. Another one of those great films. Because they've given us hits like Cobra, Sly Stallone, uh, Cyborg, Jean-Claude Van damn ninja 3 the domination they also did the american ninja movies but i mentioned ninja 3 because that was a review on this show it's such a great movie (laughs) it's so bad it's awesome uh they also produced life force the breaking movies breaking and breaking 2 and masters of the universe yes by the way, how many of you saw that trailer for Kevin Smith's uh, Masters of the Universe Revelations? Looks pretty damn good. I'm not going to lie. I know there's some people in the world they like to shit on Kevin Smith, but when he's a fan of something, he fans hard and I'm kind of not I'm kind of not surprised. I can see this is going to be a series. I I can't wait to see it. I think it's going to hold up very nicely. It looks like it's kind of like a a mixture, really. Like, it's got the look of the 80s He-Man series, but then it seems like it's got, like, the backstory and the gravitas of the early 2000s Masters of the Universe. So I'm looking forward to it. But Golden Globus, they, they produced well over 200 films. I wasn't writing them all down. Masters of the Universe, though, is a must. Even though Gwildor... Honestly, I never understood the character of Gwildor. Why couldn't they have just given us Orko and let it be? But anyways, moving on. Cinematography by Richard Kouris. I also worked on Drop Dead Sexy and the 1982 horror film Mongrel. What the... What is it? Killer Dogs... Mongrel. Mitch Pelleggi was in that movie. It's been ages since I've seen it, but yeah. Special effects and makeup by Mr. 1990's Night of the Living Dead. Um, Tom Savini. Uh, Other notable names I might add that were in the special effects department. uh, John Bulich and Gabe Bartolis. They were also part of the special effects team, but Savini's the one that did a lot of the makeup in this and a lot of the blood and the gore and the ooze and did such a wonderful job with it. The music in this movie is by Toby Hubert. Toby. Wow. I'm trying to say Toby Hooper and Jerry Lambert at the same time. It's (laughs) coming out something scary. Toby Hubert. (laughs) Um, Yes. So Toby and Jerry worked on the music. Uh, Jerry Lambert's also done music for uh, movies like Deep Star 6, Iron Eagle 3, Wishmaster, Jason X. But Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 was his uh, his premiere into the movie world. 
moving on to our starring cast. I like this movie because it's a short cast. I don't have to spend a lot of time on it, I know, which sounds bad. But I mean, I was watching, like I said, I was watching Gremlins 2 last night and I realized if I ever review this movie, the cast will be a good 25 minute segment on its own. The amount of special uh, special cameos and and the starring cast, my God, it's legendary in that movie. It was like, fuck, I was watching that and I'm like, do I ever do this movie? Because the starring cast would take forever. But anyways, I'll complain later about that. Starring cast for this movie. Starting with Stretch, played by Carolyn Williams. Um, she's done actually quite a bit of work that I've seen, and I never actually really put it together. But she was in The Stepfather 2. She was in Days of Thunder, which, shit, I didn't even... <laughs> I've watched that movie so many times, and I know who she is in the movie, and it's like it just never actually clicked. It's not like, like the pieces just never fit together. Even though I knew it was her in that movie. Um, Leprechaun 3, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, she was in Hatchet 3, Sharknado 4. <laughs> I had to mention that. As a matter of fact, in Sharknado 4, she plays character named Stretch. And she was in 10 Minutes to Midnight most recently. Uh, moving on to Dennis Hopper as Lieutenant Lefty Enright. Oh, Dennis. Dennis, Dennis, Dennis. He was also in the movie Speed. He was really good in Speed. He was in the movie Blue Velvet. Really good in that movie. He was in Land of the Dead. I love him in that movie. He was in True Romance. That's a good flick. Um, oh, should I? I'll mention it. He was uh, King Koopa in Super Mario Brothers. Let's move on to Bill Mosley. <laughs> Bill Mosley is Chop Top. Oh, Bill. 143 acting credits, and I've seen many of them. And I love the shit Bill does. Bill Mosley is a god among men when he... It, it, there's more on him that I have uh, in the review part of this segment, like this uh, episode, but uh, he's been in movies like The Blob, Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, Night of the Living Dead, the remake... Army of Darkness, Evil Ed, House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects, and Three from Hell as Otis Firefly, Evil Bong, The Devil's Carnival, Texas Chainsaw. Uh, he was in the Holliston TV series that was done by Adam Green, and he was in the movie Death House. Like I said, 143 acting credits, so I'm not going to name them all, but... God, I love Bill Mosley. I he was even in ah, uh, what's the Combi Craze song? Seek and Destroy, I think is the song called, or Search and Destroy, something like that. I'm horrible with song titles sometimes, but um, he was in that. He had that like really cool opening. I used to actually use it at the beginning of this show, um, where he's talking about uh, like you know, basically the future. It's supposed to be like he's broadcasting on like a TV about the future and whatnot. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, he he's everywhere. Bill is a, like I say, he's a god among men. And one celebrity that I haven't met, but if I ever have the chance to meet him, Bill Mosley's the man I definitely want to meet. Moving on to Jim Sedow as Drayton Sawyer. 
And let's be fair, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 are basically his big highlights. He's been in other movies. He was in 1971's Wind Splitter, uh, which I mentioned that because Toby Hooper was also in that film, and I'm pretty sure that's where the two met. But Jim C. Dow did not have a big movie career, but if you got to have two on your resume that just stand out, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre and this one are definitely awesome movies to have on your resume. We'll move on to Bill Johnson as Leatherface, not Gunner, Gunner Hanser. Gunner. Wow. Not Gunner Hanson. There we go. Sometimes I actually get mad at myself because I get so tongue-tied and like off podcast when I'm talking with people, I get so frustrated with myself because I do it a lot and I don't know why. Anyways, Bill Johnson as Leatherface. Uh, It was also in the movie Butcher Boys, which was also written by Kim Henkel, who was the writer of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I might also add that this is pretty much Bill Johnson's only really highlight movie aside from Butcher Boys. Um, Lou Perryman as L.G. Peters. He was also in Poltergeist, Last Night at the Alamo. I bring up Last Night at the Alamo because, much like Bill Johnson and the movie Butcher Boys, uh, Lou Perryman, Last Night at the Alamo, written by Kim Hankel. I'm going to say this now. Kim Hankel was supposed to be the writer on this film. There's more on that in a bit. Uh, Ken Ebert as Grandpa. That's it. Only movie he's ever been in. Never did another movie after that. And then I mentioned this one. Joe Bob Briggs. Listed as a gonzo moviegoer. (laughs) And you're like, Joe Bob Briggs? I don't remember him in this movie. Well, that's because his scenes were deleted. He was a special cameo. And I'm assuming it it probably brought him in for this movie because he champions the original as probably his favorite movie of all time. So it was probably one of those things where Toby was like, come on, you know, join the film. And then the scene got deleted for whatever reason. So more on that in a bit. But anyways, so the runtime, depending on which version you watch. The runtime is normally an hour and 41 minutes long, but some versions run an hour and 38 minutes long or 89 minutes long. We'll explain that one in a bit. The most recent full version is the unrated version. While some edited versions around the world were rated R for gore, profanity, violence, and suggested sexuality, uh, the budget for the film was somewhere between 4.5 to 4.7 million, and the worldwide gross was just over 8 million. The synopsis for the film is as follows. Oh, I might add, I got this off the back of my VHS tape, the MGM Movie Time version. I don't have the original VHS, but I do have that one. Blood Spurt and sparks fly as a whacked out lawman goes after human meat cutters with his own high octane saws in a horrific showdown with the legendary Leatherface and his cannibal family 
For 13 years, former Texas Ranger Lefty Enright has been obsessed with finding the psychotic mass murderers who killed his brother's children. But today, he's in luck. A tough-as-nails, late-night disc jockey has caught the ghouls on tape in the act of slicing and dicing a couple of fun-loving rich kids. When she volunteers to help, Lefty persuades her to play the tape over the air to lure the maniacs out of hiding. But what she doesn't know is that she's the only witness to their butchery who hasn't been carved up for somebody's supper yet. From the director of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, this ghastly and hilarious sequel is a horrifying descent into your deepest, darkest fears that will keep you up night after night. Now, a few notes from the Chili Cook-Off First Prize Underground. And, okay, so, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 is basically a three-act film, like most films, but I kind of broke this down because one thing about this film, I've always, you read so much about the film that sometimes it actually confuses you, and there's been a lot of different stuff about, like, whether or not Stretch was Lefty's sister because he calls her sister. But I think he's kind of more like one of those things where, like, he just refers to people as, like, brother and sister. I don't think she was actually his sister, but I don't know because then there was supposedly a part in the film where we were going to find out that they were related and just weird shit. But anyways, this is basically a three-act film with the first act being the killing of the yuppies. Oh, the yuppies, that's a cool story, because Kit Carson, when he was writing the story, he wanted to figure out a way to open up the film, and he's like, okay, so in the original film, you know, the the, the cannibal family killed a bunch of hippies. He's like, okay, we can't do hippies, this is in the 80s, we've got to figure out a group of people that they can go after for that first initial kill to open up the film, so he basically, I guess, it happened during Christmas shopping, he was in a mall, and he happened to notice some yuppies walking around he's like you know what they need a saw and that's how that happened so there's this the movie opens up with the two yuppies you know harassing stretch at the radio station over the car phone that's like the size of like you know oh i don't know uh, a vhs tape basically it's fucking huge (laughs) 80s right um but yeah they're calling her on the 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 car phone and They're harassing her at the radio station. And while they're doing this, they get killed by Leatherface. And uh, Stretch records the the call on a tape. Tape. As a matter of fact, I think it's like an eight-track tape. There's one. No, it's a a cassette tape. But there's one part where she pushes like, it looks like an eight-track tape. And Oh, that's when she's playing music. Never mind. Uh, But... Yeah, it's got eight-track tapes and cassettes and 45 RPM little vinyl records. We see those in this. Like We're talking old-school radio station here. Um, But yeah, so Lefty has her play the tape over the air, and that's what will bring the Sawyers out. That's your first act. Your second act is basically the Sawyers coming out to play. You know, uh, this is when we get to meet Chop Top, and he has some of the most wonderful fucking one-liners in the world. Uh, sometimes not even just one-liners, but just his overall portrayal and performances just, by God, is fucking awesome. But anyways, the second act is that. Uh, they, they show up at the radio station. Um, we also have the mutilation of LG. Uh, as long as you're not watching the Ontario version, I'll explain that. I, like I said, it's coming. Um, 
And then the end of the second act is basically Stretch finding her way to like the Sawyers. Um, what I call it's like an amusement park, like home, but I guess it's like their slaughterhouse or whatever. It's 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 basically Alice falling down the rabbit hole. Um, and then you have the third act. The third act is Stretch screaming a lot, um, kind of like the first film with Sally. You know, <laughs> a lot of screaming. Um, but she's joining the family for dinner. You know, Grandpa's doing the mallet over the head thing again. You know, just like in the original. Um, but then we get an awesome, like, chainsaw battle, you know, between Lefty and Leatherface, you know, the Battle of the Saws. Before Mandy was a thing, there was Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Uh, Stretch gets chased by Chop Top, you know, while, uh, Drayton apparently he's got the grenade, and he's like, okay, fuck it, I got cut up, this is all gotta end, and he blows him, Leatherface, and Lefty up in the lair, and Stretch is, like, running up those stairs to get out of the rabbit hole, and Chop Top's following her. They come upon Grandma. We meet Grandma for the first time, you know, she's basically a big bag of bones with a fucking skull head on top, but, you know, according to Chop Top, she, you know, Stretch killed her, even though she pretty much looked dead already, um, Hey, yeah, and then obviously the, you know, the finale was stretched doing her own kind of Leatherface chainsaw wielding thing like we saw at the end of the first film. She does her version at the end of the second film. So that's basically how this movie works. And I'm cutting out a lot because I'm also cutting out the fact that Leatherface falls in love in this movie, <laughs> kind of. Um, and in certain deleted scenes, we find out that Nubbins, which is that corpse, you know, when they're killing the yuppies at the beginning and, and chop top or sorry, Leatherface has that, like, it looks like it's a dummy, but it's like a corpse or whatever. Well, nubbins, that's the corpse that chop top and Leatherface keep dragging around with them. And we find that out that that's actually the hitchhiker from the first film who is chop tops twin brother, apparently. Um, but we, it, that's all in deleted scenes, which kind of sucks. Um, also making an appearance from the original film is Franklin, but in kind of a different way. This time he's very silent. He's not annoying. Um, and he's a skeleton in a wheelchair with a flashlight that still works. I'm assuming that the, you know, the Drayton's probably changed the batteries. At least I would think, um, because you know, this is what they say. This is 13 years later. Uh, you know, because the original took place in 73, it came out in 74, but it took place in 73 and this is 1986. So 13 years later kind of thing. So, and then there's the ratings controversies. Uh, so in the States, when this was originally submitted to the MPAA, this film received an X rating. The filmmakers didn't want that. So they released it as unrated. And also in 1986, this movie was banned in Sweden. But here's the thing. Okay, so being an Ontario native myself, this kind of like stabs me in the gut a little bit to have to talk about this. Because in all of Canada, Ontario was the only one that decided, the, the only province I should say, decided to be a shithead with this movie. So 11 movie, 11, 11 movies, 11 minutes were cut from this movie. Because they were deemed too offensive and gory. Uh, almost everything in the underground slaughterhouse, the amusement park as I call it, um, was cut. 
the, uh, almost all of that was cut. Uh, the yuppies, when they get killed at the beginning and their head, the one gets his head, basically the top of his head chopped off and there's the blood spurting. You, it's kind of a cheesy looking effect, but it works where it looks like there's like little straws and fucking blood spewing out. Anyways, that got taken out of the film. Um, when Chop Top is hitting LG over the head uh, with the hammer and he keeps saying, incoming mail. Um, yeah, so that scene in the Ontario cut, you only see that once and there's no incoming mail line. It de- he doesn't do it over and over. There's none. All that great Chop Top moment was taken out of the film. Um, and not to mention that that one hammer blow apparently is what kills LG. We never see the skinned, like the skinned alive LG scenes. All that's cut from the film. And because they cut so much out of this film in Ontario, the movie was released a week later. It was like August 29th in Ontario. The rest of Canada got it August 26th. Um, and then when they released it on home video a year later, All of Canada got that horrible Ontario cut because Astral Home Video and the media, which is the media video version for Canada. Yeah, they they just countrywide. Here you go. Here's the shitty cut. Um, At least years later, you know, when they released the DVD, they restored most of the footage. Um, Like I said, the VHS that I have is the movie time, the MGM movie time version that was released for Canada where nine minutes of the movie were put back in. So it was now an hour and 38 minutes, but with obviously, you know, screen factory and arrow video releasing this. Now the full one hour and 41 minutes can be enjoyed in Canada, uh, uncut unrated and all its wonderful glory, which is interesting because when I saw the movie completely uncut a few years back, it was funny because I didn't realize that the Ontario cut was cut that badly. And I remember the scenes with LG in the lair and like in the, the slaughterhouse or whatever with stretch. When I watched that for the first time, I, I kept thinking to myself, I've never seen this part before. Why, why does this not seem familiar to me yet? I remember watching this movie in, you know, like 1990 or 91 or whatever it was. And that was why, but back then I didn't pay attention to this kind of stuff. And not to mention, I didn't have the internet to tell me that that was what happened. Um, so I never realized that the movie was that badly cut. I'm glad we live in an era that we do now because I have the arrow video, uh, the UK release with all its glory and all its goriness. And I'm very happy about that. I also have, because of the deleted scenes that are on that Blu-ray, I have this Joe Bob Briggs cut. Um, which, okay, so like I said, in, in the end credits, he's listed as Gonzo Moviegoer. But the funny thing is, is that he's listed in the credits, but never seen in the film. And that was because his scene got cut right before the film was released. Uh, Joe Bob Briggs did kind of jokingly complain about it. The fact that he got uh, cut from the film. But it, it was kind of funny how he did it. Because he basically blamed it on the Russians. Uh, 
primarily uh, Mikhail Gorbachev. He kind of went after him, which he had nothing to do with it, but why not? You know, might as well have fun with it. Um, and nobody liked Gorbachev. We all know that. <laughs> so why not throw the blame on him? But um, if you have the, uh, the DVD or the Blu-ray releases, you can see this clip. Um, it's kind of funny, actually. He's got like two girls he's walking with. He's walking down a staircase and talking about, you know, the original. I believe he's talking about the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, if not the the sequel. But all of a sudden, Leatherface comes through the wall and off screen kind of kills them and whatnot. So, and like I said, I, I have a feeling that that was because Joe Bob has always said that Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, is his all-time favorite movie. So this was probably their way of saying, here, thank you for always championing, like making us a champion and whatnot. We'll put you in the film. Um, in the documentary The Saw's Family, Kit Carson talked about how he basically had to keep rewriting the script daily. Um, and this went on pretty much through the whole filming uh, period. Like which he said was the most rewriting he had ever done, which is probably why he didn't do a lot. Uh, when you think about it, if you have that one bad experience, it's probably enough to make you want to stop doing things. So, um, I mean, he seems very proud of the work that he did on the film, but yeah, the, because of uh, a lot of censors getting involved, different, um, uh, what was the other thing he said? Something about because of the budget. They, they had a lower budget than they wanted, so sometimes certain scenes that they had created where it would require a certain specific special effect that they might not have been able to pull off, you'd have to rewrite scenes and whatnot. So he did say that he did a lot of rewriting for this film. So basically what we were supposed to get, which keep in mind, Toby Hooper and Kim, Han Kim Hankel had an idea for this film. As a matter of fact, it was supposed to be a town of um, cannibals. They were going to do more than just the, the one family they were. Sorry about that, guys. I think I hit the microphone. Um, <laughs> uh, they were supposed to um, have like a town full of cannibals and whatnot and not just the one family. And then the studio kind of got involved, which, wow, never heard of that happening before. But studio got involved, said, no, we don't want that. And as time went on, Kim Henkel was kind of taken out of the equation. Kim Carson, Kit Carson brought in Kit Carson says, basically, yeah, I had to rewrite this whole damn script over and over and over. So when you actually think about this film, what it probably started off as and what we got, you know, night and day, right? Like dog will hunt. Um, yes, <laughs> Bill Mosley. I have to talk about Bill Mosley for a minute here because this is his favorite role in his whole acting career to date. And by God, yes. I mean, some of the lines like, <laughs> I mean, sure. Some of them you probably shouldn't say out loud today in public. Like you hog bitch. Um, but <laughs> lick my plate, you dog dick. Uh, but fuck. I always love incoming mail. Uh, that one's another good one. And then obviously dog will hunt, which Primus used in their song. Jerry was a race car driver. Nice little bit of trivia for you. But um, God, Bill Mosley. Fuck. And so how he got the role for this, he created like a little short film, uh, obviously him and a couple of friends, whatever. But it was called the Texas Chainsaw Manicure. 
uh, and he played the hitchhiker, which go figure later, you know, years later, he's brought on and Chop Top is the hitchhiker's twin brother, which kind of makes sense. But anyways, he does this Texas chainsaw manicure and just had the right connections, made sure that Toby Hooper saw that short film and Toby Hooper apparently kept that one up in the top of his head. And when he went to go do the sequel, gave Bill a call and... As they say, the rest is history. Thank God for that, because Bill saves this movie. Um, it was also Jim C. Dow's final film. Sadly, he did pass away shortly after. And Jim is another fucking highlight in this movie. He has some great, some great banter as well. <laughs> like he's got some good lines as well. Um, and then Bill Johnson is Leatherface, which, okay, so Bill get, Bill's been interviewed and, you know, like basically he said he's a, he's a character whose face is hidden behind a mask. So the way he approached it was just don't do it wrong. Um, he gives credit to Gunnar Hansen as being the one, the only, the only Leatherface, uh, the perfect version, but he tried to do the best that he could with what was asked of him. But it's kind of like Michael Myers. It's kind of like Jason Voorhees in the same approach with Bill Johnson is, you know, as Leatherface, his face technically is hidden behind the skin of his victims, right? So it's like a mask and whatnot. So he like he basically just approached it as don't fuck this up. Then, of course, we have that fucking weird, awkward, awkward, like sexual shit between stretch and Leatherface, which that's a very awkward scene both obviously probably to film but also to watch it's like um yeah we're going in some pretty dark places here and you got to mention like carolyn williams's stretch like solid performance fucking great kind of like the original and sally hardesty like played by marilyn burns where she does a lot of screaming i did like that in one of her interviews she she tried to figure out different ways to scream so it wasn't just the same scream over and over and i give her credit for that it's not as abrasive on the ears as sally hardesty but it's still painful um i will say that and I love how, like, her audition, like, you know, like, okay, so Bill Mosley gets, you know, he gets the role based off of a short film that he did. Her, she did an audition, and I remember I read somewhere there was, like, 200 or 300 auditions for this role. And when she walked, when she went into her audition, she basically, like, she first off, she ran through the hallway screaming, runs into the room, pulls Toby Hoover, Hooper and... Uh, Kit Carson off their chairs uses their chairs like to close the door behind her like almost like she's in complete fear um, basically she got the part <laughs> like and this was before she even auditioned a single line she just wanted to show them that she could do the fear factor and yeah got the part easily um, and like I said as with Bill Mosley same with her the rest is history now as for those awkward scenes Luckily, her and Bill Johnson both felt very okay with each other. They got along well. So those intense scenes, you know, where Leatherface has got the fucking chainsaw and he's going up her leg basically to her crotch area with the fucking chainsaw. And it's a, it's a weird fucking scene. Could have been very uncomfortable for both of them, but apparently it went okay. And both Bill and Carolyn have talked about that where, you know... um, 
they were lucky that they got along well because it made it not so awkward. I know that Carolyn also talks about like the scene where she, where grandpa's hitting her over the head with the mallet. Apparently she had to try and figure out a way to make her laughing sound like screaming because she kept laughing her ass off. She was not, she couldn't come off as scared. So she would either have to look down. She had to scream certain ways and stuff like that because she could not stop laughing. I'm pretty sure they probably had to do a lot of retakes on that scene because she did say it was, it was quite a hilarious moment in the filmmaking. And then you have Lou Perryman as LG. Um, he definitely peels it off. Um, Oh wait, no, I meant pulled it off. Um, (laughs) I gotta say, okay, so He's got a thing about calling Stretch Darlin. Um, it's actually, a, I'm not going to lie, it's somewhat annoying, but I get what they were trying to do. They're trying to show that he's always had this attraction to Stretch. She's not attracted to him whatsoever. But there's a, mu- a mutual respect between the two of them. I, she does love him, but just not in that way. I have to say, though, kudos to him for being such a good sport because Savini put some fucking gooey makeup on him like really makes him look skinned and mutilated it looks gorgeous lg pulls it off like lou perryman pulls it off great as lg but man that is i can not that i want to say that i'm happy about it i'm totally against the censorship that ontario pulled on this film but i like on ontario the province but i can see why because it does look so fucking good but at the same time, no, don't do that. Let the movie be unrated. Release it as is. Don't fuck with movies. Let Leave director's visions alone. God damn it. Same with special effects, guys. They do this shit for a reason. And then there's Dennis Hopper. Oh, Dennis Hopper. Yes, we paid you to basically show up, wheel, show up in a film, wield a saw, and chop shit down. Is he underused? Absolutely. But... Again, another one of those with some fucking great one line. Bring it all down. Oh, my God. The amount of times he says that. Um, I love the, the the one line where he's like, I'm the Lord of the Harvest. And you've got Jim C. Dow's Drayton basically following it up with, what's that? Like some new health food bunch or something? It's fucking hilarious. And then, of course, you know, you got Dennis Hopper with his, it's the devil's playground. Like, he's got like these like over the top lines, but he just pulls them off so well. And it's funny because he says that he hated this role the most of all his roles. Uh, Funny, he did say the same thing about Super Mario Brothers. So which is it? Come on, Hopper. Which is it? Super Mario Brothers you hate the most or TCM2? But I'm not going to lie. He's vastly underused in this movie. We needed a lot more of him. When he's on the screen, he's a hoot. But yeah. And I mean, critics have pointed that out too. I mean, critics, let's be fair. Quite a few of them do not like this movie. Ebert gave it, you know, one star out of four. Asshole. I Bob said, I hate the fucking zero star and one star ratings. Don't be like that. But whatever. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it at 47 appro- 47% approval rating, I guess, if you want to call that approval. Um, and I've seen a lot of fan reviews, too. I was reading quite a few of them that they complain this movie is not horror enough. It's trying too much to be funny. It's not as good as the original. 
Isn't that the point of it being labeled a black comedy, though? Maybe. Hence the point. I don't know. Should the movie have taken 12 years to have been made and released from the time of the original? I mean, at that point, do you call it a remake or do you call it a sequel? You know, because as I mentioned earlier about, you know, remakes and sequels and shit like that, sequels usually happen a couple years later, but not 12. But then, like I said, you know, Hooper and Henkel had an idea. Studio interfered. Fucking studios which to be fair their idea of the town of cannibals thing was supposed to be a satire of motel hell kind of like you know repaying the favor because motel hell was supposed to be a satire of the original texas chainsaw massacre this would have been a kind of cool little like sort of like a battle between back and forth we would have gotten possibly a motel hell too you know because they would have been battling back and forth between their satires but Anyways, studios do what studios do, and what do I think of this movie? Do I love this movie? Do I hate this movie? Do I put it higher or lower than the original? Well, let's see. Podcast Zero rating is this. Totally different from the original. But I think the movie works. For me, personally, anyways, I do think this movie works. Considering the time period it came out, and that it's meant to play in a humorful kind of satire-like way. I mean, taking shots at pop culture, I mean, even the poster artwork itself, which is on the original VHS, and if you buy the Arrow video, you know, the reversible cover gives you the original poster. That poster was taking, it was it was poking at John Hughes. His Breakfast Club, the original poster for that with the kids, and you got the one laying down and the other... They did that with this. The, the, it put the posters side by side. It, it's they took shots even at John Hughes. Like, and that was the thing about this movie was it was supposed to be fun. It wasn't supposed to be scary. I mean, it's dark. It's fucking gory as shit. But it's got a wicked sense of humor. I mean, so it, it, and the movie's effective. It, it, it as long as you don't take it seriously. The opening ten minutes, which I kind of. It, it, the first act, right? The the opening 10 minutes of this film are fucking awesome. Like those two kids, like, you know, well, and what I should say, what leads to those kids being mutilated is the fact that they originally played chicken on the road with the truck, the truck that at the time you didn't realize was being driven by Chop Top and Leatherface. And then of course, later on, they get even while the kids are on the phone with Stretch at the radio station, who's recording the phone call. And but those yuppies, man, like, and then there's the fact also that Drayton wins that chili cook-off. I mean, that's also in there. The secret is in the meat, um, which again, you know, a shot at Motel Hell. Not a show, not a shot, but a nod, a nod to Motel Hell. Right? It all leads to a very tongue-in-cheek film that you know, thirty years later, I still find very enjoyable. Um, did I get it thirty years ago when I saw it for the first time? No, um, I'm not going to lie. It, it, what stuck, what stuck with me the first time I watched it was that jump scare. And the jump scare I'm talking about is when we have Chop Top is first introduced to Stretch and he's talking about, he wants to buy some radio airplay and he, he wants to request a track and he's, it, he's there for the lefty tape, like the tape that lefty had her play. And she's standing by the dark room after she's giving him the tour. And he's like, oh, what's in here? And all of a sudden, Leatherface comes flying out of that dark room. 
the way they did the shadows and everything, you did not know anyone was in that room. I mean, you suspect it, but the timing is so perfect. That jump scare fucking works. Like <laughs> that is a good jump scare. So that part always stuck with me, but the overall humor to the film was something that I, it, I learned with time. Um, the effects and the makeup are fucking great. Um, the layer looks creepy now that, you know, you see it in all its full glory. I mean, if you, like I said, if you lived in Ontario, Canada, you didn't see it the first time. It's massive. It's confusing. It's like a maze. It's perfect. It, like I said, it's almost like Wonderland, you know, Alice falling down the rabbit hole, which is actually a really great way to look at this film. That's a, and that's another way to approach it that I, I, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, giving a nod to Alice in Wonderland. I mean, it's essentially Alice through the looking glass. Um, Chop Top either being the Cheshire Cat or the Mad Hatter. Perfect, you know. So I've always felt, when I think about the original film, I feel the original is a 10 out of 10. Yes, I get it. Sally Hardesty screams a lot. And it's sometimes very abrasive on the ears. And, you know, Franklin is an annoying fucking character, but... The thing is, is that I've always called the original a 10 out of 10 because it was a game changer. It, it, at a time in filmmaking, it changed so much and it was one of the most influential films and essential viewing of the 1970s. This one for me, I'll say is eight chainsaws out of 10. So it's an eight out of 10, but hold on. Let's call on Dumbledore because as they always do at Hogwarts, well, not always, but they did, you know, there's that bonus point thing, right? So let's give bonus points to this movie or one character in particular, Chop Top. Bill Mosley is, like I said, is a fucking god in this movie. And for that, this movie gets an extra two points. We're going to grant it two points, making the movie a 10 out of 10. Now, is it worthy of this ranking? No. Um... Probably not. It, it The movie has flaws. Like I said, you know, Hopper is uh, underused. Um, and Nubbins should have been explained. That should have never been taken out of the film. We should have been explained who Nubbins was because there was a lot of confusion, especially after this movie first came out, as to was Bill Mosley playing the hitchhiker or was he playing a different character? Because the hitchhiker never had a name in the first film. He was the hitchhiker. Just as, you know, Drayton, Drayton Sawyer, uh, played by Jim Seedow in the first film was just known as the cook, um, or old man, actually. I think, I think they called him old man in that. I don't even think they called him like, you know, the cook. He, and the cook is what he was referred to in Texas Chainsaw Massacre too, even though he has a name, but, um, that whole thing with nubbins really should have been explained. We should have, we should have found out that they kept the, the corpse of, of the hitchhiker and, also that he was Chop Top's brother, twin brother, because Chop Top was off in Vietnam while, you know, the original film happened and whatnot. So the movie's an eight because, you know, great effects, good pacing too. Like it's, it's a very quick movie. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't waste time, but there's some, there's some shit that should have been left in. And not to mention that Joe Bob Briggs clip, why bring someone in if you're going to cut that clip anyways? And it, you can't say it was for pacing reasons. You can't say it was for time length or anything. It's a 30 second clip. It should have just been left in, but then you got Bill Mosley. Bill Mosley comes along and fucking saves this fucking movie. So the movie's a 10 out of 10, not because the merits of the movie, but, but the, 
because of the merits of Bill Mosley. And on that note, I want to thank you all for listening to me get tongue twisted a couple times, ramble, babble, the usual. <laughs> it's a typical What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero episode. What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero, obviously the show that you can find on Spotify, you'll find it on Apple Podcasts, Google, uh, Amazon Music, Audible, FM Player, everywhere. It's it's all around. Um, you can find it on social media at facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcast zero on Instagram at what lurks behind podcast zero and Twitter at WLB podcast zero. And that's basically it kids. Like there's really not much else to say. Uh, lurkers recommendation. I was trying to think about this. So there's a, 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 a re- record album that has been released recently by a Canadian band known as uh, Living Dead Girl. Not to be confused with the UK band known as Living Dead Girl or the song Living Dead Girl or the movie Living Dead Girl. Uh, no. They're, uh, it, it's Molly Rennick's band basically. Molly Rennick is the Living Dead Girl. Um, it's a band. It's a project she's been working on for four years now. Uh, the album Exorcism was recently released. I think the media keeps sort of hyping the film, the the, film, the, the album up as being like Avril Lavigne meets Marilyn Manson. Kind of think that's underselling it a little. Um, I can see where they're getting the comparisons, but kind of undersells it a little. It's a really solid album. Um, album. So I wanted to recommend that this week. And as for next movie review. So next movie review comes from 1990. Yes, I'm finally leaving the 80s. Not very far away from the 80s. But we're going to 1990 and no sequel this time. Uh, We're going to go with the original. That's actually being remade and being released sometime this year. I keep saying sometime this year because release dates never seem to stick right now. So I don't want to give actual release dates in case the movie doesn't stick. But the original stars the wonderful Tony Todd based on a story by Clive Barker. Yeah, from 1990, we'll be reviewing Candyman next episode. To close out this show this week and not doing a music track as a matter of fact uh going forward i may not do music songs as much i kind of want to change things up i found a really cool thing on the internet that i thought i would share as a way to close this out it's like a two minute clip from cnn talking about the release of texas chainsaw massacre 2 so i thought i would share that at the end of this and i was gonna change it up you know, Al's had fun for the last while telling me that I should shut the fuck up. And I was actually going to change it this week and have Bill tell me to lick his plate, you dog dick. But we'll stick with Al because it's Al's job and he's got to keep it. So, Al, what should I do again? You need to shut the fuck up. The horror of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre will be back on the big screen soon. Leatherface is back, and like a true man of the 80s, he's chasing yuppies and catching them. Tony Clark reports. And action!
The terror returns, this time in the netherworld of Christmas lights, bodies and bones, the home of the Chainsaw family. Okay, go! The victims in the second installment of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre are the well-to-do kids of the 80s, yuppies. And cut. Screenwriter Kit Carson picked his targets while Christmas shopping last year. I was standing there watching these people run by me in these crinkly pastel colors and uh, stacking up clothes. And I said, these people need a chainsaw after them. And that's just what happened. There are bodies and bones everywhere. These ghoulish goodies are the work of special effects director Tom Savini, the creator of the effects for the Friday the 13th and the Day of the Dead films. We've got some uh, foam packaging bits that we dyed red, just look like brains, and we filled it in there, and that's going to be in there for like another week and a half before we hit it with a chainsaw. It's been 12 years since director Toby Hooper made his first chainsaw movie. That one was done on a budget of $160,000. This one is budgeted at 4.6 million. Chainsaw one, we only had one chainsaw. When the chainsaw broke, we 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 wrapped it for the day and got the chainsaw fixed. Leatherface is back with his mask made from the skin of his victims. In Chainsaw Two, he faces his toughest rival, a former Texas Ranger who packs chainsaws of his own. You see these people, they killed my entire family, made chili out of them in the last picture. So I've been tracking them for 14 years now. And I'm going to get these mad dogs. Audiences around the country will be able to see if he does late this summer in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Tony Clark, CNN, Austin, Texas. This is Headline News.